Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome. We are here for a uh, special uh, bonus episode of Two Years Away here. Um, the NBA Finals are set, and um, we decided to, to do something a little bit differently this time. We're going to give you kind of a, a quick primer um, on the, the finals. We were last with you a couple of weeks ago um, when the conference finals had just kicked off, and we were just so excited for the matchup that we have on tap here that we wanted to uh, share our thoughts with you and give, give you guys a, a little bit of a, a quick bonus episode here in between our normal cadence of, uh, of, of episodes. Um, we're here, as always, with, uh, with my good friend and co-host, Brett. Hi, Steve. How are you? Um, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. Um, we are here on the, uh, the 5th of July, the eve of uh, game one of the NBA Finals. Um, and what was really, I mean, I, I've been saying this really the whole playoffs, but this, I think, has been by far the, the most fun playoffs in the last couple of years that I can remember. And <laughs> we're with a, a matchup that uh, probably wasn't the one that the NBA wanted when they started the season up, but it's going to be Bucks and Suns. Um, do you have any initial thoughts um, on, on how things played out in the conference finals to get here? Yeah, so, I mean, and I think, first of all, we just kind of have to say, I, I'd just like to lead by saying it's it's kind of a shame that uh, the, like, so much of the conference finals were just dictated by injuries, um, and we saw games swinging on that, series swinging on that, um, potentially, depending on um, how much you think Kawhi Leonard potentially was... Uh, of the lack of Kawhi Leonard was a factor for the Clippers, but I mean, at the end of the day, I think I really do think we're seeing the two, the two team, the team from each conference that's playing the best basketball right now. And I mean, and I know that seems like a, a weird thing to say on face value, but I, I think we've definitely seen teams back into the finals, uh, or you know, kind of not kind of peak early in the playoffs and and just kind of wiggle their way somehow into the finals. Um, but I mean, we've we've seen a lot of really great basketball from from both Phoenix and Milwaukee. Um, especially in the absence of some of their some of their star players, Chris Paul missed two games uh, with with the COVID protocol and whatever was going on there. And then obviously Giannis got injured in Game Four um, of the of the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, and the the Bucks really rallied um, after after losing that game um, and are really really playing some good ball right now. So I'm I'm really excited. I mean, you know, I think I think you and I on this podcast have always taken a strong stance towards it's fun seeing small market teams do well. Um, and I think for, especially for Milwaukee after years of just letdowns in the playoffs, I think it's fair to say uh, for them to really be, be playing this well right now and, and beat the nets and you know, get past a, a Hawks team that was uh, feistier than, than we expected, especially after losing game one um, is, is pretty exciting. And then obviously Phoenix, like they, they won 19 games two years ago. This is this is a pretty pretty remarkable turnaround that uh, you know a certain former executive of theirs has tried to take all the credit for. Um, but we, uh, you know, it's it's it's. I'm really excited about it. I think, given everyone's health and the health of everyone in the in the playoffs, this is about as good of a matchup as we're going to get. There there are um, like storylines within storylines that we can we can parse through here, and we're going to do our do our best to do that. Um, but I I think. Just at a, at a high level, the there's there's just general excitement on my part for the new new blood that's here, and I know that's a little bit cliche because um, 
I, I don't know. Like, I, I think in, in some ways, like, saying that's grounds for a fun series is kind of a weak argument. But I, like, we're so – I've been so used to, for the last decade, like, whichever team LeBron's on is guaranteed in. And then some form of the Spurs or the Warriors um, uh, kind of get, getting in it, it, it – it had been old and stale storylines. And I, I think um, we're not just seeing new teams, but we're seeing um, we're, we're seeing the true like depth of the league from a talent standpoint um, come in and shine itself. Because like, look, and we could, again, we could have this argument like for a whole podcast, but like Chris Middleton and Devin Booker are like B-list superstars, in my opinion. They're not like A-list superstars. And they're like, one of them is going to be hoisting a, the, the title. I mean, I know like Giannis is an A-list superstar. And we're gonna get to get to that at the at the end of the day. But like Middle, Middleton was arguably the most important player in the net series for them, and and in the at least the, the back half of this series uh, for for the Bucks against the Hawks. And so I think it just I think the league is gonna be in good shape long term if it proves to itself that like you don't need to be like a top five player in the league to win like a title. And this kind of is fuel to that fire, and I think might change the way that some of these franchises kind of look at their their future. And like maybe an example is like look, Charlotte. Like who knows like what how good a player Lamelo Ball be, but like they may see themselves as like a Phoenix now and be like, okay, like you know we're just a couple of moves away, you know, or we're just two years away from from you know getting in contention and getting a couple of bounces to go our way, um, and 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 we could be with an opportunity to win a title. Yeah, and I think I think an interesting point is um, we th- these are also I, I don't, I'm not going to say that causation you know cor- correlation implies causation, but we're seeing two teams that took enormous swings this off season to speed up their timeline for different reasons. Obviously, um, you know Phoenix bringing in Chris Paul uh, was was a huge blockbuster trade with OKC, um, and you know I I. I don't think it's a super hot take to say that they didn't necessarily see it. I, I would be willing to bet that the, the front office there viewed that as more of a developmental thing for DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker than, a, oh, God, we're going to go to the finals this year. Like, we knew they were going to be a lot better. I don't – at the beginning of the season, I, I, I'm not sure that many people thought that they'd find themselves in the finals, um, especially given the the strengths of the relative of the relative strengths of the two L.A. teams, Denver and all that. Um, but, I mean, still, they made they made this big move, and it paid off immediately. And then on the other side, um, Milwaukee brought in Drew Holiday. And I think that was, you know, I mean, obviously they were already listed as contenders before that move with with Giannis and Middleton and and the core they've developed. But I think making sure to keep Giannis, they made that move to try and keep Giannis happy and keep him him in Milwaukee. And obviously that was accomplished. And now they find themselves in the finals. And so it's two moves. And obviously if, if Drew had gotten hurt or like Chris Paul couldn't fully get them over the hump. Like maybe we're viewing those a little bit differently, but I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing two big swings in free agency from, from minor, from smaller market teams that pay off right away. So I think it's just an interesting, an interesting thing to look at for teams like Charlotte, let's say if, if they keep their core together and see, you know, like in three, four years, that could be, that could be their move. Well, and the, the thing that's particularly refreshing, I think, about the, this Bucks situation here is, so they, they're they a team that kind of kept running it back. Because, like, think about it, they've been a playoff team for, I mean, I don't know how many consecutive years, but it's like it's seven or eight years that, you know, they kind of started in as a, 
as a six, seven, eight seed um, a, a lot of earlier years in the 2010s and, you know, kind of struggled before they got that second uh, alpha for, you know, for Giannis. And then even the last couple of years, they failed to get over the hump with him. It's great to see a team like, and a superstar for that matter. And this is not a knock on anyone else, but it's great to see a superstar stick with it like Dirk did uh, with the Mavs when he had a lot of disappointments early in his career, but finally just stuck with it, got his one, and, you know, now he's unquestionably a Hall of Famer. You know, uh, it's refreshing to see that. And I think not only is it refreshing to see that, but it it their, the toughness and the continuity of that group showed when they were pushed to the brink against – a, a Nets team that was way more talented. Like the Nets caved um, emotionally when you know they dropped Game Six and Seven, kind of after after that that crazy game five they won. And it was the Bucks that that stood together and displayed such toughness to be able to get out those wins. I mean, I don't think there's a coincidence there. I think continuity means something, and I think um, when we see all these teams that have been flipping things, you know, they've been making these decisions in kind of two-year time horizons. Uh, the Clippers being kind of one of those, um, I think it shows that there's value in continuity too, um, and I like that. Yeah, I think I think it's a good point. Also, we should never forget that uh, it's only been six years since Giannis got thrown out of the playoffs for basically uh, decking Mike Dunleavy. I think it's important important to recognize that the I think Mike Dunleavy played a pivotal role in in the uh, the Giannis we are currently seeing. But yes, no, I think to your to your larger point, I do I do it is it is. It is cool to see that. And then, um, I mean, and, and, you know, obviously there's the whole the whole deal with uh, with with Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, but it, it really did show that the Bucks threw all their chips in at the right time. So as far as kind of um, the, the, the one other, I think, big picture storyline before we kind of go into the matchup is the impact of this series on Chris Paul's legacy. Um, and so I think, you know, the knock on Chris Paul throughout his whole career was he, um, he never even made a conference finals before this year. Um, and so, you know, now it, it's, it was so odd, right? Because I think like anyone that watches him knows he's a clutch player, but you know, it, it, as it is with a lot of the like greats, when we talk about like, are you a great player versus like a hall of famer versus like a true winner, you know, it's, it's can you get over the hump? Um, and I guess my question is, does Chris Paul need this ring to validate um, him at, in, in that next step in, in, in basketball lore? Um, or does it not matter? Like, has he already accomplished enough this year with what he's been able to do with this team? I, I mean, I think just more generally, I'm a person that like, like I, in my mind, like championships are so hard to win that like, not having one shouldn't be a huge ding on your legacy, if one at all. Um, it's more like you. It, I, I liken it more to like, 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 like. Um, what the what they what they say in law school is like you don't lose points on exams, you gain points. And so I think like the same system kind of applies in the NBA for me because like championships are so hard to win, and especially recently, so much of it is just dependent on health. And I think that's the big thing with Chris Paul is like. The dude just has a really bad luck streak, uh, you know, knocking, knocking on wood here, obviously. But, like, in, in the past, like, his luck with injuries has been horrible timing, like, playoff after playoff. And I, that's not his fault. Like, I, I so I think I think 
winning it would add to it, but not winning it wouldn't take anything away in my mind. Like, I think it's, I think, especially given what we've seen, just even from him just this year, like, to say nothing about how he's been perceived as a player his entire career, like, I, I, I think that that is a bigger sticking point than the outcome of a seven game series right now. You know, I, I want to also pivot this, and I know, I know we're, we're going to get to the matchup in a second, but just kind of quickly recapping the conference finals, specifically, <laughs> specifically in regards to Paul George, a lot of it has been made of kind of about his legacy and his, you know, his kind of, um, you, you can look at his performance in one of two ways. You know, he put in a, a heroic effort carrying the, the Clippers without Kawhi. That game five performance was, you know, one that you only really see out of a true superstar. But um, at the same time, you know, people cite the two missed free throws in game two. Um, you know, there there were mo- he had his moments of, um, you know, playoff P, I guess. Um, and so wh- wh- where do you feel about Paul George kind of after how these playoffs played out? Um, I mean, I don't know. I've always thought that Paul George is a great player. I think, you know, is he, can you win with him as your best player? Probably not. And I think, I think he's learning to be more okay with that. Just, but he's also like, I mean, he's still obviously like, yeah, that 40, the, the 41 point game in, in, in game five is, is a, is a shining example of him carrying the team. Um, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think it's changed that much. I think, I mean, I don't know. I think he did more harm to himself by nicknaming himself playoff P and then having like four awful playoffs in a row. That's another discussion. But like, I, I mean, you know, if he, if he hadn't said that, no one would care about him having a, like, no one would care about him missing those. Two, I mean, not no one. Fewer people would care about him missing those two free throws because like that happens. I mean, granted he was five for 10 from the line that game, but like, Guys, guys miss free throws. Like no one makes every single clutch shot. Um, I, I, I do think like, you know, he could have played a lot. He could have played better in some of in, in, in across playoff games in his career. But I don't know. I, 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 I think that the Clippers' failure is more tantamount to them not really having playmakers when they need it. Like, like a like a ball dominant guard. You know. Don't don't tell that to Reggie Jackson. That's the only. Uh... I mean, fair, but also, you know, no one, no one saw that coming. So, yeah, um, I did well, not see him turning into Reggie Miller. That is, that is not something that I would have foreseen. Or uh, the former Reggie Jackson, um, who is also known for great playoff performances. For, hit, for, for hitting bombs in playoffs, it's true. Transitioning um, now from playoff P to playoff Jeff. Um, it's uh, again, we promised a quick episode for you here, so we're gonna hit the uh, the center point of the segment. So, we're gonna give you playoff version, playoff worthy uh, Jeff's coupon segments uh, today. And again, this is the center point of the segment where we honor our, our patron saint, our folk hero, and um, a, a man who um, you know really only uh, is challenged by God himself, uh, Jeff's coupon. Um, and, and as we do with every coupon segment, we're going to talk about the things that are average in our life. Um, so Brett, feel free to take us away. Yeah. So I, I might go, I might go a little long here. I have to provide an update on my previous segment where I said I bought a succulent, which was named Jeff. Um, Jeff has died. It developed a weird fungus, uh, like a week after we recorded last. 
and uh, died very fast. So, um, but I learned, you know, I took a lot of lessons away from it, uh, like buy a succulent in an appropriately sized pot. So, you know, we're, we're going to live and learn and hopefully Jeff too will, uh, will, I don't have Jeff too yet, but hopefully that will be a larger success. Um, I would like to pivot now and say that for my segment this time, um, I would like to talk about how, first of all, LinkedIn, just overall super average, but the most average part of it is how uh, when someone changes jobs or like posts something, there are automated automated responses that pop up. And I, I really don't see the difference between clicking something that says like, congratulations, Brett, when I updated my job for an internship uh, with like full punctuation and like very robotic sounding. And I, cause I got five of those messages like in comment form. Um, but I think like, why can't, why won't you just, you can just hit the like button. I think that's enough. You don't need to click something that like shows that you wish me like congratulations or whatever. I think automated responses are super weird. And like, if you really cared about saying something to me, you'd just text me. I think like also like, it's also great when you just see six page breaks in a, in a LinkedIn post and then just everyone is like, congratulations on your new position in the same exact, like same exact form. Say it's just so funny. Like it's so average to respond in one of those automated responses on LinkedIn. Well, if any of the uh, LinkedIn execs happily tuning in here, um, we know you do take, take notes. Um, for, okay. For something a little bit more lighthearted, um, for my Subban segment, I'm going to talk about fireworks. Um, and I guess to, both to Brett and to our listeners, I'm going to pose the question of, um, you know, fireworks shows. I mean, fireworks in general. Um, I, have you ever really like walked away from a fireworks show thoroughly disappointed or truly amazed? Um, and, and you don't you don't need to answer necessarily. Well, I, I have an answer. What, what my take is going to be is. Um, you, you, you're not usually like at one end of the spectrum or another, right? Like, you know, you, you go to a fireworks show, you, you, you and you off, but you kind of know what to expect. Um, you know, they, they last a, about this, the same amount of time. You know, they're going to be loud and kind of uncomfortable. Um, uh, and you know that like the people that try to light them off, you know, who don't know what they're doing, you know, tend to do it wrong and can cause a ruckus. So um, it caused like a lot of, uh, they're actually like very messy, you know, there's always like, um, you know, the remnants are always out the next morning, not cleaned up. I'm, I'm going to argue that fireworks are thoroughly average. That's not to say I'm not unpatriotic. Uh, I, uh, love this country. I love 4th of July. Um, and I, I love the tradition aspect of fireworks, but the actual shows and the fireworks themselves, um, I think they're pretty average. Uh, but Brett, you were going to say something. Yeah, the only notable fireworks show happened in San Diego in 2012, which is there's video of this on YouTube. But it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen because they accidentally shot the entire like crate of fireworks off at the same time. So it was just massive explosions for like a minute and a half. And that was it. And it's I highly recommend people people go watch it because it's, you know, it's, given that it was in San Diego, it might uh, one Jeff Supon might have been behind that. I mean, um, that would make me so happy. It's not even funny. So don't please don't get my hopes up. Anyway, so so to to the to the matchup itself, uh, yeah. Bucks Bucks Suns. Um, I guess you know there's um, 
Well, okay, maybe we have to start with the elephant in the room, and that's kind of Giannis's injury situation. Um, and I guess, you know, we can't necessarily predict um, how it plays out on the injury front, but maybe maybe I'll pose the question this way. Can the Bucks still win if Giannis doesn't play a single game in the series? Yes, yes, absolutely. I think, I mean, we're seeing Chris Middleton exceed every single expectation, and I think that, I mean, if we're if we're going to get more into like X's and O's, I think we'll see him start on Chris Paul defensively, and, and because he'll be he'll be he'll be working most likely to neutralize that pick and roll game with DeAndre Ayton, and I think we'll, we should definitely mention DeAndre Ayton later. But and then you put Drew Holiday on um, on Booker and just chase him, Book, you know, because that way, um, you know, Holiday won't Holiday doesn't necessarily need to shoulder as much of that offensive load. That's going to be Middleton. That's going to, you know, Bobby Portis. That's going to be Brooke Lopez. Like, maybe not Brooke Lopez, but like, it's it's going to be the rest of the. So if you can put, if um, my point is, I should have thought of that, thought about that a little, a little better. But my point is basically like, you can stick Holiday and just have him chase Booker, and you, I mean, you'll still need him on offense, but he's not going to be carrying the load. Like that's Middleton, and you know, you get enough guys out there hitting hitting shots and keeping Aiton from like fully dominating the game. Um, it'll be, you know, I, there it's entirely possible. I think, I, but I, th- I think that the, again, the interesting thing it's going to come down to is, you know, is Budenholzer going to make the right adjustments? We saw what he did last series where he started having the wings dig in on Trey young and they he stopped having Brooke Lopez play, play that ridiculous drop coverage. It's not going to be the same. Chris Paul is not, not the same. He's not going to be going in for the floaters as much. So it's going to be, can they stop him from getting to the middle of the lane, like the like the middle of the key, basically, and pulling up for those those uh, those jumpers, but also at the same time knowing that he can make that pass, so not over rotating on the help side and leaving guys like Mikhail Bridges open f- from the corner. I I wonder too. So I yeah, like all all of that is relevant. Like if Giannis plays, though, I mean. Like maybe that, like how how are how would you approach that schematically from a defensive standpoint if you're Monty Williams, like like as far as just like your game plan for Giannis because, um, that to me seems like some like Phoenix as a team doesn't seem as well set up to handle no. him on um, even compared to some of the Eastern Conference folks. Right, I mean the I think the, the easy answer would be start Crowder on him and then rotate in Bridges. I think, and you basically just try and double when you can. I mean, you know, the the Bucks have a bevy of shooters, and it's not going to be easy. But I mean, you also what you do is you just play you play five feet off of him and hope he just kind of because how many I mean how many games is this this playoffs has he taken more than four threes? I, I don't know the answer, but like there, there I remember we, we were talking you and I were talking about this like, the other week when he had the game where he shot one for eight from three. And I mean, I think as the playoffs have gone on, he's realized that he shouldn't do that. But I mean, he, you're, you don't need to guard him out that far. So I think if you just kind of if you give yourself that cushion and just live with him trying to get to the rim and just making it difficult for him. I mean, Crowder, Crowder and Bridges are, are excellent defenders. Bridges is obviously not maybe not big enough, but like Crowder's Crowder's a, a you know, a physical, a big physical defender. And um, 
I, mean, I think that's that's what you start at least. I mean, and I guess maybe I don't know. You don't really you don't even want, you don't really want to leave you don't want to leave Holiday or Middleton to double, and you don't really want to leave Tucker or or Lopez or Portis. So I mean, maybe you maybe you just live you live with him getting to the rim and and hope he just settles for more bad shots than he than he should. Well, and to me, it's not it's not just that. Like, so it seems like Milwaukee kind of turned the quarter, um, turned the corner, even like ideologically in the playoffs when they made a commitment to rebounding, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of the the problem, as you kind of hinted at earlier, with that is, is DeAndre Ayton um, uh, on on that end of the floor, at least. Um, I actually think this series is going to be one in the post, um, and, and the guards will do their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like it's it's very possible that Booker could have a bonkers game that wins them a game, and and likewise with Middleton or Holiday. But I think it's the the team that controls the paint is going to be the one that wins. And I guess how do you see? Like I could see there be stretches where like it's Giannis and Aiton kind of matched up on each other, um, and I guess like do you see the Suns like kind of continuing to try to bully the Bucks down low like they did the the Clippers or? Um, like, do you, do you think they're they're not going to try to force it as much? I don't know if they're going to try. I mean, I, I think maybe if they, if they, you know, I don't know. Maybe force isn't the right word, but I think they're definitely going to look to use the advantage, the physical advantage that DeAndre Ayton applies, or that he provides. And they're going to look to get him going early, I think. Because there there have been a few games where I think, what game in game, game six, he only took eight shots, and they still won, you know. But... It's if if you're if you're Monty Williams, you like the fact that DeAndre Ayton is going to be going up against Brooke Lopez just from a from an athleticism. I mean, Brooke Lopez is no slouch defensively, but like DeAndre Ayton is a whole different animal than anything he's really had to deal with because the Nets played super small. Um, Capella, you know, not exactly the same as Ayton, more of just like a straight line rim runner um, with a less advanced post game. Um, Ayton's going to be totally different, and I think. They're gonna look and get him involved. I think, you know, we we saw we saw the Bucks switch more on the pick and roll as that season at the, as that series in Atlanta um, kept going. You know, as as that progressed, and I it's 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 gonna. I mean, obviously, I was just talking about how Trey Young and and Chris Paul are totally different, but you still have a ball dominant point guard that's an excellent distributor and can make shots or not not you know from from extending out. Uh, a, few, a few feet, so it, they're different, obviously. But I think you at least have to apply some of the same principles. I just in Paul won't necessarily be quite as quick, so I think you know Lopez it might have a little bit easier time staying in front of him. But you still have to watch that. I mean, they're they're really going to have to just game plan that pick and roll, um, and then hope that like Booker doesn't go bonkers. But I, I do agree. Like looking to a, I think Phoenix especially, I think is going to look to establish the. The post, but if it's not going well for Aiden, I don't think they're going to overdo it. I think I think they've they've learned for I think they've had a couple games this postseason where they did do that and it just didn't go well, um, especially against like the, the first couple games against the Lakers come to mind. But so I think I think they'll they'll try, but you know they have other ways of scoring if if it's not going right away. The the last thing on my mind with this series, um, and yeah, you know, I think this happens every year, but. Um, but just this year in particular, and kind of being two teams that rely more on team basketball than anything else, like is is there one like player that 
you've got your eye on um, in like a secondary role that you think could um, influence this series. Um, and, and like, I think the perfect example is like, you go back to those, those Spurs um, heat series, like Danny green, like, um, you know, Danny green, like swung, swung that series once, like just on his own by having a, like a seven point, a seven, three point game. And I'm like, you know, is it is it Bridges? Is it Portis? Is it Connington? Is it Campaign? You know, like who on your mind are you watching to, to really have an influence on the series that, that most people aren't? Yeah, so two so two guys. Well, I just one from each team. Um, I'm gonna we got Campaign on the on the Suns, and I, I mean, obviously, crazy story. Like, you know, relatively out of nowhere um, to to have a huge impact on this on this playoffs, especially when when Chris Paul wasn't able to play, um, but. I think the the continuity that he's been able to bring, not only as leading the second unit, but when they've needed a second ball handler in, in the game, um, or even third, depending on, you know, what you think of Booker, like, he's been able to be in there and provide consistent shot making. And when teams are so focused on stopping either Booker's catch and shoot or Paul getting into the lane, knocking out a mid-range, being that option to just step up and, and hit shots, especially, uh, and then especially, I know we, we talked about, like, the pick and roll, um, and especially with the Bucks' propensity to play drop coverage, like guys that can hit that mid-range or even step out and hit a couple threes, like that's huge to have your seventh offensive, you know, option be able to do that. And then it's kind of the same with Portis. I mean, who's really found his his three point three point stroke? And you know, especially if Giannis does play um, and is just going to be kind of straight line attacking, they're, they're going to eventually send a double if. Um, if he's getting to the rim easily. And so being able to, you know, just hit those threes, I think um, is really going to be going to be key for, for the bucks. Yeah. And I guess what I would just add is that, I mean, I, I, I think Bridges is going to get a lot of the, the, the um, media fanfare, at least um, just because of his upside. But I, I would expect a heavy dose of, of Jay Crowder's fingerprints kind of all over the series. Mm-hmm. Um, just given his his championship pedigree, his experience, um, you know, his ability to play both ends of the floor um, and space the floor, um, I think he'll be incredibly important um, if the Suns are to, um, in in my head, pull off what would be an upset. Um, but but to that note, I mean, what's your early prediction? What do you think of this series? I think. Um... I mean, Giannis is currently listed as doubtful for game one as of uh, like 9.15 central time. So about an hour ago, um, assuming he's not at full strength, I'm going to take the Suns at six in six. Um, that's where I am right now. So Suns at Suns in six, assuming Giannis does not play. And I've got I've got the Bucks in six. Um, so I know we're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum there. I think the Bucks are I think the Bucks are just more mentally tough. Um and I think, you know, they, they even they, they played their toughest series two series ago, you know, and still were able to have enough mental fortitude to continue bouncing back. Um, I think they've got uh, they've got tough one on one individual players, but I think they also have more skill um, combined. I think people just forget how good Drew Holiday is, how good Brooke Lopez is on the offensive end and how good. Um, Chris Middleton is even before you even get to Giannis. I don't know. I don't think the Suns have enough. I do think the Suns have gotten lucky with their competition um, and and injuries. That's not to take away anything that that they've done um, so far because they've they've run through the West um, 
uh, more than what anyone would have thought of. But I think, I think, I think Giannis is on a mission. I think we're going to see greatness um, before our eyes. And I, I got the Bucks in six. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I do. I if if Giannis was fully healthy, I think I would be with you in the prediction. Um, for those reasons, I also think, you know, something to watch is is whether Budenholzer continues actually making the right adjustments. Um, so we've got a, we've got a new series with a new opponent. Um, I'm interested to see what what comes of that because I think I think he's passed the coaching for his job point, but I'm not. I mean, obviously, I'm not positive. I don't work in the Bucks front office, but like, I think I think perception, public perception of him is still shaky, um, and so I'm interested to see how that how that impacts the series as a whole. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, well, we're gonna wrap things up now. Um, you know, hope you enjoyed this uh, this little playoff preview here. Um, we're looking forward to a super exciting series, um, and and all that comes. Um, after the the season ends as well with the draft and free agency so uh, we thank you for being with us uh, again this year um, as always and and as y'all know um, we're all just two years away for something great